Welcome to the One Church Podcast. Within this podcast, you'll encounter content that will instill hope, fortify your faith, offer practical, real-life insights, spread the love of Jesus, and inspire you to fulfill your unique purpose. Now, please stay tuned as we prepare to delve into this week's message. We live in a season where many of the people of this world and God's people are in places in life where they are simply not able to do the things that they desire to do in their heart because of circumstances, because of situations, sometimes that they had no control over. But those things become labels. They become things that identify us as individuals. And there are people in life who who spend their entire life living under a label. And the label uh, shackles them. The label cuffs their hands. It even stops their mouth sometimes uh, from being able to proclaim and declare exactly who they are. And this morning, I want to share a message with you before I get into the Word of God in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to be reading uh, starting at verse 46 in the New King James Version, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. Before I get into the Word, I, I want to give you the title of my message, and the title is simply this, Blind, but not defined. Blind, but not defined. Blindness defined is actually the condition of lacking visual perception due to physiological factors. And there's a number of ways that we recognize blind individuals. The universal way is a white cane. You see someone walking down the road with a white cane, you know they're blind. Other people wear dark glasses, and they wear those glasses all the time. These are labels uh, that help us identify a blind person. When we go to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10, and we come down to verse 46, one of the things you'll find in Mark chapter 10, and I encourage you as a side note, to read the Word of God like a novel rather than a chapter. There's a reason, and you'll see that in this, in this very chapter and the next. Read the Word of God as a narrative, not just a, a chapter. Oh, I read my chapter today. When we do that, we miss so much. We, we miss the introduction of some things that God's going to do, and we miss the postscript of what God has done. And so I want to bring some of that out today. In the verses preceding verse 46, one of the things you'll see in verse 32 is that Jesus, for the third time, is predicting his death and his resurrection. And then in verse 35, he transitions to the topic of greatness in serving and, and what serving is all about as the disciples are are kind of, I'm using a word, jockeying for <laughs> positions in the kingdom of God. Who's going to sit here with you? Who's going to sit there? And so as Jesus is giving all of these um, subjects line by line, he comes down to verse, four, we come to verse 46 and picture this crowd of people that are following him because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he's going through Jericho when this verse opens. Verse 46, read with me. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, 
Blind Barnabas, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. We read in these verses, and what we discover in these verses is a man named Barnabas. You picture in your mind the scene, there's a crowd with Jesus everywhere on the road, and over on the sideline sits a blind beggar, And this blind beggar named Barnabas is sitting there, no doubt, because of his condition, he is placed there every day. He is led there, guided there, and sat there every day. He has a basket or a bowl wrapped around him, and all he can do in his condition is sit and beg. Sit and beg. He literally is defined by his condition. Everybody knows who blind Barnabas is. They see him every day. They pass him by every day. Occasionally a generous heart may throw some coins or something toward him to help him. Barnabas is so aware of his surroundings. He's so uh, heightened in every other sense, especially hearing, because he cannot see. I imagine, it's not in the Word of God, but God gave us all an imagination, amen? So theologically speaking, you can agree or disagree with me, but I tend to think that as Barnabas is sitting there day in and day out, week in and week out, that he has become so familiar with every other person's habits, meaning we are people of habits. We are creatures of habit. I assure you that if I were to put a camera in your house in the morning routine, you do the same things in the same order almost every single day of your life because we do it mindlessly, without thinking. We are people of routine. And some of us are so habitual in what we do that certain people know our order when they see our face. I've been at the same hotel for three nights. For three consecutive mornings, the same woman has been behind the counter. And when I walked down on day two, she said yesterday, would you like what you had yesterday? I said, thank you very much. Do you remember? Oh, yes, I remember. This morning's day three. I walked up. Good morning, Mr. Jan. She even knows my name. On day three, she said, can I put such and such in for you? I said, you sure can, and I appreciate it. We're creatures of habit. Barnabas is sitting there, and he has become so familiar with everybody else and their habits. In my mind, I just imagine that he knows the sound of the squeaky wheel on the cart, 
that's coming down, he knows whose cart that is. He knows the reason they're passing by. He can smell the fresh-baked bread in the morning from the baker who's headed to sell their goods. He knows the sounds even though he can't see. He is aware of everything. So why would he not question that morning, that day, when he hears an unfamiliar sound? The sound of hundreds of people, a great noise. This is out of the ordinary, he must have thought. And so it evoked a question and a thought in his mind. And he asked the question, what is all of this noise? And someone said to him, it is Jesus of Nazareth. He is passing by on his way to Jerusalem. Now, at that announcement, I just have to imagine, because we're at the end of Jesus' three years of public ministry, and the word is already declared in other gospels that his fame went abroad. Everybody in all of Judea knew, in Palestine knew, who this man Jesus was. They knew what he had done, and they knew his power and his authority. And a blind beggar who has been sitting in the same place, identified by his condition, gets in his mind, this Jesus has to be the Jesus that I have heard open blinded eyes. This has to be the same Jesus of Nazareth that I've heard who has done miracle after miracle. And all of a sudden, at the sound of the name Jesus... I just believe that hope and faith begin to rise up inside of Barnabas. In fact, I believe that there is no substitute in our lives even today for desire. Desire is is what Barnabas had grab hold of him. His emotions, his future, his thinking, desire became so real so real in the moment that he's sitting there seeing nothing but recognizing that the answer to his condition, the answer to the label that has sidelined him is close. He's close by and his name is Jesus. I thought about how that in the word of God we have record of individuals who demonstrated such a desire. I thought about how the psalmist David wrote in Psalm 27 and 4. In fact, he, he, he whittled it down to these words. He said, one thing have I desired. One thing have I desired, and that is what I will seek after. You know what his desire was? He said that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Oh, pastor, how awesome would it be if that desire hit everybody? who's ever crossed the doors of this church. We couldn't hold the people who get a desire to come to the house of the Lord in corporate fellowship and worship to hear the word of God. Desire was in the heart of the psalmist. And, and I think about the apostle Paul, how it, he, he had such a desire, and it's recorded in Philippians chapter 3. He said, I, I have this one desire. What is that desire? He said, to press on. To the prize. There's a prize. He said, I want to win the prize of devotion and service to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as we look back at Barnabas, I think that Barnabas had a desire and that he suddenly pictured himself and his destiny as a man who had received sight, a man who could live his life without the labels that were attached to him. And that, my friends is the desire that caused him 
to cry out with a loud voice. Can you imagine? Because he was sitting, the word says, on the side of the road. Can you imagine the crowd and all the noise and how Barnabas thought in his heart, how am I going to communicate to Jesus my desire? And so the word says that he cried out with a loud voice. I envisioned the blind man sitting on the side of the road, not having a battery-powered megaphone or a PA system, but I thought, you know, he had these two hands that became a megaphone. I envisioned him cupping his hands over his mouth and throwing his head back to project his voice into the atmosphere and saying, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's what I envisioned. But let me tell you what the Word of God says happened when he cried out. Somebody close by said, Shut up, blind man. Be quiet. Jesus does not have time for you. Can I tell you that when you live your life and I live my life with labels that have defined us that other people around us become very comfortable with who we are in our conditions. And when we desire to change and something happens, it's like the, 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 the worst person you can imagine who finds Jesus. All of a sudden, all of his friends become very uncomfortable with this person who suddenly has found Jesus because he no longer wants to be like them. He no longer wants to go where they go. He no longer wants to do what they do. And the people in the day saw Barnabas. Barnabas may, in some of those people's mind, been their token charity. Barnabas' blind condition just might have been the very thing that made them feel good about themselves once a week when they gave to the poor. And so for him to change would change their world. The truth is this. When desire grabs a hold of our hearts and we have hope in one who is able to change our condition, nothing can stop desire. Nothing. Nothing can change your desire to have what you need from God. And so the word says that that did not deter him. In fact, the word says he cried out all the more. What does that mean? With greater intensity. It's almost like Barnabas was thinking, you told me to shut up. You didn't like what I said. Hold on, I'm about to give you a greater volume than you heard the first time because my desire is that the master, the savior, the healer, the one who is able to do for me what I cannot do for myself is going to hear my heart's cry. And he cried out again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. The word of God says that Jesus stood still. He stopped. And he said, call the blind man. Isn't it amazing how people who try to shut us down have a change of heart when a person of authority steps up and makes the declaration? All of a sudden, those who said, be quiet, are now under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus said, 
call the blind man. Tell him to come to me. They then turn and say, Bartimaeus, Jesus is calling you. It's almost like some people just want the glory. They want to have a part in it. Oh, I had a part. I'm the one that told him that Jesus was calling him. I'm the one that, that, that gave him the word. I'm the one that helped him. Bartimaeus didn't need anybody's help. He used what he had, and he had a voice, and he cried out with great desire. When we look inward at our own lives, and we reflect, Georgie said it today, so powerfully, when you said this, it resonated with my spirit and what God was going to use me to say later. You, saw, you talked about the proportion of our praise. In bringing praise to the Lord in proportion to what he's done for us. People of God, listen to this word. Barnabas was called to, to come to Jesus. And in that moment, he knew to change his circumstances, he had to take action. And for you and I to change our circumstances, we have to take action. God, he calls us, but he doesn't come over and pick us up and drag us to our destiny. He calls us to take part. In fact, even our own salvation, even though he, he gave his son and Jesus died and was buried and resurrected and all authority in heaven and earth was given to him, that doesn't change the fact that for us to be redeemed and saved, we have to do something. We have to believe first, then we confess with our mouth, and then we are saved. There is action on our part. There was action required for Barnabas to change his label, to change his identity. And Jesus simply said, come to me. So I want you to notice some things that Barnabas did. Three simple truths that I believe are faith action steps that we can apply to our lives when we need to see change. First of all, we have to start right where we are. He was on the side of the road, and from that place... He used, secondly, what he had. What did he have? He didn't have influence, but he had a voice. And he cried out, and then we do what we can. From right where he was, he asked those questions. What is the noise? It's Jesus. He thought about his condition from right where he was. From the very place on the side of the road, he even began to encourage himself to believe in his heart that the same Jesus who healed other blinded eyes would also heal his eyes. And then he used what he had. He cried out with that voice, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David. I want to pause here in this story and just share something that the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart when I was reading this text one day. The Spirit of the Lord said, look at what he said. Nobody told him what to say. Do you realize that Jesus was called many things. He was called Master. He was called Lord. He was called the Prince of Peace. He was called the Rose of Sharon. He was called all sorts of things in the Word of God. Nobody told the blind beggar Barnabas what to say when he cried. So I began to look at what he said. What he said was, Jesus, Son of David. 
And I began to realize that Son of David is a messianic title. You are the Son of David. It's a messianic title. And as I began to delve into this, the Spirit of the Lord began to open my spirit because the Lord showed me that Jesus was on His way to the cross. He was on His way. In fact, that's why I said read the Word as a narrative and not by chapter. Because when you get to chapter 11, you will see, as my Bible titles it, the triumphal entry. It's what we call Palm Sunday. Literally, after this miraculous healing of Barnabas, immediately he continues his journey from Jericho into Jerusalem. And on the same day that he healed Barnabas, he literally enters and they cut palm branches and they lay garments on the And they say to him, you are our king. You are the one. And so Barnabas uses son of David. And what I realized is that Jesus on the road was exactly where many of us are in life, on our roads. Jesus knew that his assignment was the cross. Jesus knew that he was to die for the sins of all mankind. I don't know about you, but that's a heavy assignment. We know it was heavy because later in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is sweating great drops of blood in anxiety and stress, crying out, Father, if it is possible, don't let me do this. Is there another way? But Lord, if there's not, I'm willing. I am willing. I just imagine that as Jesus is in the crowd and all the crowd are making noise, Jesus isn't saying anything. He's thinking about where he's headed. He's thinking. And as he's walking and he's thinking about the destiny and the cross, it's on his mind, no doubt. He's thinking about it. He's he's wondering what all is going to happen. He knows his assignment. But in the middle of all of the questioning that must have been going through his mind, the Father up above who loved his Son, his only begotten Son, the same Father God who loves each one of you today, who loves me, who cares about our lives and and who we are and what our destiny is, that Father, I believe, impressed on a blind beggar to use a messianic title to cry out with a loud voice to stop Jesus. And Jesus heard a name and a title that identified who he was and identified his assignment. Can I tell you the affirmation from the Father wasn't the first time that the Father had affirmed his assignment. It was at the baptism when John baptized him and he came up out of the water. The heavens opened and the the Spirit descended from heaven and a voice was heard. And what did the voice say? This is my beloved Son and I am well pleased in Him. We need affirmation from the Father. You need it. I need it for the assignments that we are walking through in life. And the Father gave His own Son, Jesus, the affirmation, yes, you are the Son of David, you are the Messiah, and you are on the right path. 
You know what I believed evoked a desire in Jesus to do one more miracle of healing before he got to the cross? I believe it was the empathy for a blind beggar and it was the reality that he did know and he heard from a blind beggar from the prompting of the Father above that you are the Messiah. I'm telling you, people of God, when we know who we are, we can do what God has called us to do. When you know who you are, when you know that there's no label that can define you, there's no identity that the world places on you that can define you or sideline you, you can do what God has called you to do. And so, back to my text, Barnabas is there on the side of the road. And what does he do? When Jesus calls, he's sitting there. Can you picture this? Barnabas. Sitting. He's got this cloak that's draped over his shoulders. It's not just any cloak. It's a label. Everybody that saw that blind beggar's cloak knew just like the white cane of our day. That's a blind man. That's a beggar. And he's sitting there on the side of the road. And when he heard Jesus say, come to me, the first thing he did is what we have to do in our lives. The word says he took that blind beggar's cloak, that a label that identified him, and from sitting on the side, he threw it aside. You know why he threw it aside? Because he knew he would never need the label that identified who he was. Ever again will I need that. You and I have to understand that when Jesus calls us, he calls us to wholeness. He calls us to victory. He calls us to a place and a position with him where there are just things of this world that are no longer needed because our identity is not in a blind beggar's cloak. Your identity is not in the alcohol bottle or the nicotine or the pornography or the illicit living. It is not in any of those things. Your identity is not in your profession vanity that proceeds out of your mouth or your gossip. It's not in any of those things. Your identity is in Jesus Christ who died for your sins, who says, I am not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so Jesus comes to us today and he says, what label defines you? What does the world know you? How does the world identify you? But he says, come to me. All you who labor, Barnabas labored every day. He labored from the anguish and the pain of sitting in the same place and begging, begging, begging. But Jesus says, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden. When the labels of this world have your shoulders bent down so low that you can't even get up. When the world's conditions that have labeled and stuck to you because your mom or your dad or somebody did something to put you in a situation that you haven't been able to get out of. When your credit card spending has sidelined you to the place where you can't survive anymore. I'm going to tell you, there is a label, but there is a Jesus. There is a label, but there is a God in heaven who is greater and exceedingly abundantly able to do beyond what we can ask or think. And that same Jesus called out to a blind beggar, and he said, come to me. And so Bartimaeus throws aside the cloak 
God is calling us today to throw aside the labels. Throw them aside. Secondly, Barnabas stood to his feet. Can I tell you that sometimes the devil will tell us that one label is a blanket for every other thing in life that we can't do. I can't do that because I have this. Barnabas was blind. He was not lame. Jesus said, come to me. Barnabas threw aside the label of blindness and he got up on his own two feet. Sometimes you and I have to get up on our own feet. Nobody's going to come alongside you and pick you up or force you to live for God and live in victory. Get up yourself in your own ability. Do what you can do. He stood to his feet. You know what he did in reality? He repositioned himself to receive what Jesus said would be his. We have to reposition ourselves. Sometimes it's a physical reposition. It means if Jesus has saved you, you just might have to get out of that relationship that's dragging you down. Say, say, la, and move on. You might have to give up some of the places that you frequent because those places pull you down. And you might have to frequent the house of God a little bit more than you've been because it's in this environment where your spirit is uplifted and you enter into the presence of the Lord. We have to throw aside the labels. He stood to his feet. But look what he did thirdly. He just began to walk. The word says he he just started walking toward where Jesus was. Now here's the incredible thing that is also the most simplistic thing. The question is, how did he know which direction to go? Simple. He walked by faith and not by sight. Can I tell you? That when you throw aside labels and you start a new path with God, whatever it may be. Let me pause here. Don't think I'm talking about new Christians. There are people who have been serving God for decades who still have not advanced. In fact, the Word of God and the Gospels tell us when you should have been eating a ribeye steak, Brian Yon translation, all you could eat was tofu. When you should have been eating a pork chop, all you could eat was grits, southern boy, or mashed potatoes. The truth is, all of us, in our devotion to God, have room for growth. All of us have room for growth. The Word of God that we read, we may think, I read it a hundred times. Let me tell you, it is alive. It is breathing every day. There are new mercies that the Word of God will pour into you when you open the living Word. And so we move by faith toward Jesus I don't know how he got there except that he began to walk. At some point, he comes right to where Jesus is. And Jesus says to him, Bartimaeus, what what do you want me to do for you? 
Now, I read that, and my humanity and carnality instantly rose up. And I said, wait a minute, Jesus. You are the Son of God. These worlds and galaxies were formed by the word of your mouth. You are intelligent, Jesus. And there is a blind man standing in front of you. And you ask him, what do you want me to do for you? And I said, help me, Lord. You've got to enlighten me. Why is that even in the Word of God? Why is that simple statement, what do you want me to do for you? The Spirit of the Lord instantly spoke to my heart these words. Well, let me ask you a question. How many times have I called you to my presence with the desire to meet your need, your greatest need? But you gave me a lesser need that you thought I could meet. You presented to me not your greatest need, but a lesser need because you didn't have enough faith to believe that I could meet your greatest need. Oh, shame and guilt. And I repented right there on the spot. I said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for not having the faith to come before your presence and believe that you can supply all my needs according to your riches and glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. I said, Lord, forgive me. I repent. I shared a little of my testimony Friday night. I didn't share this part. My dad had three other brothers. Folks, can I tell you, those were the, those yawn men, Y-A-U-N. It's four letters, and I jokingly say this, but tongue-in-cheek. In my little hometown in South Carolina, when you say the name yawn, everybody's mind goes back to the label of those four brothers who terrorized our town. One died in prison from attempted murder from a woman he picked up on the side of the road, raped her, shot her in the head, buried her in a shallow grave. Attempted. She faked unconsciousness, crawled out, and within hours he was locked up. Another one who spent more of his life in prison for dealing drugs than he has out of prison. My dad who lost his life because he was womanizing and the woman shot him and killed him with a shotgun. Brother number four who finally got something right, got a job, had a family. The only yawn left to my legacy. And so I made efforts to go see him every time I would go home just to, just to stay connected with my name. He didn't serve the Lord. One day when I was youth director in Arizona, my phone rang 803 area code, no identifier. I answered because it's my hometown. I thought, well, somebody got a new number. It's that uncle. It's your uncle Irvin. I was shocked. He's never called me in my life. He said, I want to talk to you a second. First, I want to tell you how proud I am that you have served God. He goes, you're a different yawn than all of us. He said, I have hope in that. Secondly, I want to tell you I'm dying with lung cancer. My time is short. 
I said, I'm so sorry. He goes, thirdly, I want you to help me find Jesus. Folks, can I tell you that when it came to praying for salvation, I'm ashamed to say that I didn't pray very much for my uncle's salvation because I thought he was just as hopeless as the other three who turned their back on God over and over and over and over. I helped him find Jesus. I led him to the Lord. He died and is in heaven today. When all of that was over, the Spirit of the Lord revisited me one day and spoke to me and rebuked me. And here's what the Lord said. The Lord said, don't you ever give up on a soul like you gave up on your uncle. The Lord reminded me that he is not willing that any perish. The Lord reminded me that with God all things are possible. All you got to do is believe. And church, I want to tell you as the musicians come to close the service, I want to tell you this today. When Bartimaeus stood before Jesus, and Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus just simply answered, Lord, would you give me my sight? That's my greatest need. I just need to see. I thought about Barnabas. I thought about how his physical body must have had all sorts of other issues from being relegated to a dusty Palestinian road. With all that we see in the Israeli war right now, pretty much that's what you see. Dust, dirt, rocks. I've been to Israel. Some of it is lush and beautiful, but a lot of it is just like that. And there he is on the side of the road. He's on that road. And I thought, what the elements must have done to his body all day, every day. And probably sitting. I don't know about you, but I sit a lot on airplanes now. Man, I get so tired of sitting. I just want to stand. Sometimes I just stand. Sometimes they have a seat. No, I'd rather stand. I'd just rather stand. And I thought Barnabas, he may have had issues with his hips or his leg, his skin. He may have had all kinds of things going on. But what Barnabas knew above all else, Barnabas knew his greatest need. And it was that he would receive his sight. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to my heart when I was contemplating and meditating on that word and that thought. The Lord spoke to my heart and the Lord said, Brian, when you come before my presence, if you will always present to me your greatest need, that's the need that I will meet. And when I meet your greatest need, you will have the ability to take care of lesser needs. You will have the ability to take care of lesser needs. But you can't take care of your greatest need. Only I can do that. So people of God today, do not let labels that you have lived with are labels that have been recently assigned to you because of adversity and circumstances. Do not let those labels stick to your life. 
because today is not only the day of salvation. Today is not only the day when Jesus says, I am not willing that any perish, but that all come to Christ. Today is not only the day where someone in this room who needs to know the Savior is Lord and to forgive you of your sins. Today is not only the day for that label to be wiped away from your life. Today is also the day for the healer. For by his stripes we are healed. The healer, the peace speaker, who can rush in to your chaos and speak peace. The wisdom giver, who can speak a word of knowledge and wisdom in your life because you have floundered and you have sought and become frustrated in trying to figure out the answer. He gives a word of knowledge, a word of understanding. The one who struggles academically, he will enlighten you. Oh, hear me. He enlightened my mind. I'm not a math person. And in my moment of greatest need, taking an exam in accounting, that my brain was stuck. And I couldn't even get the first answer. And knowing that the first answer to the problem would let all the other things fall in place, I couldn't get the first one. God sent my own professor to my side. And he leaned over and he goes, Are you okay? I go, No. My brain's stuck. You know what he said to me? He whispered one word. You know what I know? I know that God knew that in my locked up brain I only needed one word to open the gates of wisdom and when he spoke that word my mind illuminated I put my pencil to the paper and it began to flow he has all wisdom he has all knowledge he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we ask or think. Thanks for joining us this week on the One Church Podcast. Be sure to tune in next week. If you are ready to start a relationship with Jesus and commit your life to Him, please contact us at info at onechurchonline.com. We hope you found value in this podcast. And we'd appreciate if you would share us with others and tell your family and friends to follow along. Our prayer and hope is that this podcast can reach countless lives. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube and Spotify channels at One Church LI and visit us at our website, OneChurchOnline.com. Here at One Church, our vision is to see Jesus. We exist to reach the one with the love of Jesus and for all to live like Jesus. We want to see Jesus in each other and we pray and believe that there is more for you.